All right, you can be seated. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. I started to say December 6. Daniel chapter 6. If you'll go ahead and turn there this morning. Let me just say, um, I know some of you may have been a little disappointed that we didn't have the Christmas decorations, but we're kicking off Christmas season next Sunday, and uh, you'll get enough of that. We'll have the Christmas music and all the fun stuff that comes with Christmas and just a celebration of a Savior coming to this world. We've entitled that series, Thrill of Hope. And each of the messages will surround the whole idea of hope and how the Savior has come to bring hope to the nations. And uh, that's what we'll be celebrating for the next four weeks. So I hope you'll join us next week, beginning next week. And then don't forget about that Christmas Eve service, uh, excuse me, gathering. And then as we make our way to the end of the month. Daniel chapter 6. Well, we're finishing up the series, Daniel, Character in the Making. And today we're looking at when opposition arises. Now, when you look at what we've discovered so far, we basically have looked into some of the things that are written in Daniel. The first seven chapters of Daniel all stream or really go around the whole storyline of who Daniel is. We first picked him up in Daniel chapter one when he's approximately 15 to 16 years old and he stands up against the king's decree. And we saw that and we saw how his integrity uh, maintained itself. And then in Daniel chapter four, we studied and looked at the contrast between King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and what integrity truly looks like. Well, today we're going to a very familiar passage this morning, and it's Daniel in the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6. Now, keep in mind that Daniel is probably around the age of 80 to 85 when this story takes place. So we're not talking about some young man. We're talking about an 80-some-year-old man who is about to be placed in the lion's den. If you'll look at the picture here, how many of you remember flannel graph? Do y'all remember flannel graph? Some of you younger people, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. But before we had videos, we had these little storyboards, and we would put Daniel there, and then we'd put some tight, uh, excuse me, lions around him, and then put an angel up. That's how we told stories back then. Uh, and boy, I tell you, that was the day, wasn't it? Life was a lot simpler then. But anyway, we cannot help but look when we see Daniel, we've seen the pictures. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Actually, if you have a child, last week they studied Daniel in the lion's den, and I didn't realize it till two days before, or I would have switched them around where we could all be on Daniel in the lion's den. But Corby doesn't tell me anything that goes on down there. <laughs> but anyway, and so if you will, look at the introduction on your outline. How is it that Daniel could have had a profound impact on the lives of the most powerful men of his day? I mean, I want you to think about it. By the time we get to chapter six, Daniel has now served at least three different kings and serves two different world empires. Yet without compromising his beliefs and his principles, he had a profound influence on these powerful men in his day. A second question we may ask ourselves is, what did they see in him? What, what caused him to stand apart from the rest of those who were there in the palace? Well, we know from scripture that they saw a man with an excellent spirit. And we're going to look at that this morning. They saw someone who was blessed by his God. They saw someone who had extreme integrity. We've already seen that. And they saw someone who had extreme wisdom and discernment. All those are of the making of someone who stands out who's actually out there where kings would take notice. And then thirdly, 
How did Daniel overcome the opposition that arose in his life? Now, before we get to his story, I want to ask you some questions. How do you handle adversity or opposition in your life? Some of you may be facing it even today. Maybe there's something going on on the job. Maybe there's something in the classroom. Maybe there's something in the family. And you're being opposed or there's adversity that seems to be there in your path. How do you deal with that? What do you do with that? When the opposition comes, what's your first reaction? I think for many of us, if, and I think many of us probably would agree with this, we, we probably immediately go into that whole action of how dare they do this to me? Have you ever been there? I've been there. I know exactly what that feels like. You probably do too. But, but what is it that God is, have you ever thought about what could God accomplish through what I'm going through? You know, before we answer these questions, we need to consider the purpose of adversity and opposition. Did you know that the Bible has a lot to say about that? That there is a purpose behind it? So when you're sitting here today and whatever opposition, whatever adversity you're dealing with, here's the thing we need to understand. God can use it in your life in miraculous ways. He can bring about perspective that you never thought you could have in a situation, especially as it surrounds this whole idea of adversity. So look at Romans chapter five here on the screen. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation, now let me stop there. The word tribulation literally means to press, to squeeze, to confine in space. To, it can speak of persecution, suffering, adversity, and opposition. And so basically he says, and not only that, we glory in tribulations. And here's why we would do that. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. It produces patience. How many of you like, you just love it when God is developing patience in you? That's probably the last thing we want him to do in us. But, but it's so, it, it, it really brings something about. Because look at the next part. And perseverance, character. And that's proven character and character hope. It speaks of a confidence that's not shaken because it's, a, it's the building of the faith. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit. He is the one, the Holy Spirit, when you think about it, is the one directing you through your opposition. He's the one directing you through the adversity you may be dealing with. He is the one who's completing the process of maturing you in your faith. And that's what we see here. He says, by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us, to us. We look at the day of Pentecost and we see that the whole dynamic of God's people changed on that day when the Holy Spirit came to rest upon man. Now, what are the types of op opposition we could be dealing with? Well, I think there's three that we find in scripture. There's one, which I believe is just the circumstances of living in a fallen world. How many of you agree that we deal with adversity and opposition just because of the condition of a fallen world? We do. We, we, we battle those things. Uh, it, it came from the fall. Uh, we know that Job dealt with life opposition in this way. Did you know that sin, our own personal sin, can be the opposition and the adversity we're dealing with? How many of you brought things into your life that you wish you'd never brought into your life? A poor decision, a reaction. Something you've said, something that set off something that brought the opposition. That can happen. King David, that happened to him. And then there's something where opposition comes towards us in the form of persecution. We saw that with the Apostle Paul over and over again in his missionary journeys. But today what we're going to do, we're going to look at how Daniel dealt with it. 
But before we do, I want you to listen to this statement. Adversity and opposition seem to be the preferred way in which God develops our character. How many of you wish that God had a different way that he did that? That he just overwhelmed you with gifts and things and blessings and all those things. But how many of you know, living this long in life, know that that really doesn't get your attention like adversity does it? Adversity just makes you take notice. It stops you dead in your tracks. I mean, everything in life can be going great and you're feeling good and all of a sudden, bam! That's when God can do a great work in and through our lives. So remember two weeks ago, we discovered that our integrity, when given an opportunity to be displayed, it will have two effects on people. It will either anger them and threaten them. How many of you have lived some of that? You've lived godly character, you've had good integrity, and it's a threat to people. It, it can be, especially when, it's stand, when you're standing in opposition to what they believe. Or it will powerfully influence them and empower them. Godly character, true integrity, it's not stagnant. When it is displayed, it demands or creates a response in other people. And that's what we see with Daniel. These kings, I mean, think about it, the most powerful men in the world at that time. These kings are taking note of godly character in Daniel. There's something about him that he stands out from the rest. In chapter six, we discovered that Daniel's godly character was created in the, through the opposition of his life. And so let's look at his story. Look on your outline, the plan of the king. In chapter six, verse one, it says, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. Now, the kingdom here is the, is the Medo-Persian empire is what we're talking about. The Babylonian empire has fallen. That's who he was serving under. Now that we have the Medo-Persian empire, and that's what we're talking about here. And over these three, and over these, these satraps, we have three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss, especially setting up his administrative council. His, his cabinet is being formed, so to speak. And he's basically having this administration spread over his kingdom. Well, it sounds like a great idea. But it says in verse three, then this Daniel distinguished himself above the other governors. That would be the other two governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was found in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. <clears throat> All of a sudden, we have a king who says, I want you to be my second in command. Now, how do you think the other two governors feel about this? They probably think, well, what about me? Why aren't you looking at me? Why do I not stand out? King Dare saw something in Daniel. He observed, we see here this phrase, an excellent spirit in him. Some of your translation may, translations may say exceptional qualities. What are those exceptional qualities that we've seen so far? We've seen that this guy, Daniel, has tremendous wisdom, tremendous discernment. He sees things most people don't see. He speaks from a different point of view than the rest of the advisors and the rest of the counselors that we see all the way through his story up to this point. He is a seer. He sees something where the rest have no clue about. Where does that come from? It comes from God. I think it still goes on today. I think Christians who are in tune with the Holy Spirit, who live by the word of God, are people who can see things much clearer than the rest of the world. 
And that's the reason sometimes I look at our world, just like some of you say, what in the world is going on? It seems so obvious. Well, it's not obvious to most of the world, but it is obvious to those in which the Holy Spirit indwells them, leads and guides them. And many times it comes about through this opposition and adversity that we deal with. But guess what? Sometimes our adversity comes because we do see it so clearly. We see it in our family, in our workplace. Daniel stood out. However, it brought out the worst in those around him. You ever seen that happen? I remember uh, back when I was a youth pastor, uh, many years ago, uh, I remember um, seeing certain teenagers who would come back from camp and they were determined that they wanted to make a new uh, commitment to follow Christ in, in, a, in, a, in a real way. I mean, in a way that just, it was almost supernatural, some of them, the way they would describe it to me. They would get so on fire. I mean, that was one of the most greatest times of my life in ministry was seeing these students get on fire and they would come back and they would start to begin to live their life different from the rest. And you know something? No, hardly anyone stood up and applauded them. Did you know that? Because they were a threat to those who were living differently. There, were, there was literally one young lady that came years ago um, at that time and basically said, you know something? I never thought my decision to follow Christ the way I've chosen to follow him or the way he desires me to follow him, I never knew it would cost everything that seemed to be so important in my life. And sometimes it can. We see it here with Daniel. Daniel's peers were threatened by his successes. So we find that Daniel's promotion was not celebrated by all. So the plans of the king lead, look on your outline, to the plot of the accusers. And the first thing we find is the blameless. Look at verse 4. It says, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no fault or charge because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Can you imagine living a life that's so blameless, that's so upright, that your enemies seek to find things against you and they can't find anything? That would be pretty impressive. Of course, we live in a world now that if they can't find anything, they just make it up. How many of you have noticed that? Just make it up. It'll stick. And we see that so many times. So how did Daniel get to the point where even his enemies could not find fault in him? How does Daniel build his character to the point that he was literally blameless and that was from the point of view of his enemies? Well, in week one, we saw, look on your outline, his refusal. His refusal, if you go back to chapter one, verse eight, it's right there where we were a couple weeks ago. It says, verse eight, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacy, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the units that he might not defile himself. Daniel refused to compromise, even when it could have cost him something greatly. He refused to compromise. So if you're going to go to build this godly character in your life, if you're going to have that life of integrity, if you're going to have that life that's out there that God can use, it's blameless, you're not going to compromise. That's where it started with Daniel. In week two, look on your outline, we saw this. We saw his reputation. It was not just what he focused in on himself. It was also the life he lived before others. If you look at chapter five, verse 13, then Daniel was brought before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, are you that Daniel who is, who is from the captives of Ju Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah? 
I have heard of you, that the spirit of God that is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. We see that it was not just the fact he didn't compromise. It wasn't just a matter of the fact that he, didn't, that he refused those things, but he also had the reputation. People saw something in him. So Daniel's faith was so practical. Now think of this, y'all. His faith was so practical that it benefited the people around him. Wouldn't it be cool that that could be said of a dad? That, that their faith was so practical. It, and what I mean by practical, it was lived out in such a way that people benefited from the fact that they had a practical faith that they could bring wisdom to situations, that they could bring discernment to certain situations, that they could see things maybe a little differently because they were in tune with what the Holy Spirit is showing them and doing through them, and, and that they were so attuned to God's word that what they said was different than the rest of the world. That's what we're finding here. That's, what, that's the reason Daniel's standing out. Next, how did Daniel get to the point where even his enemies could not find fault? Thirdly, his routine. His routine, don't you love the R's? I tell you, I love R words. There's, there's a bunch out there. His routine, look at verse 10 of chapter six. Look at chapter six, verse 10, he says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, we'll get back to that in just a moment. He went home and in his upper room with his window open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom, his routine since his early days. There was something about Daniel. He not only would not compromise. He not only had a reputation with people in which the, the, the enemies couldn't find anything against him. What went into making his godly character was he had a routine. Now, some of you think, well, that's so routine. Yeah, routine. A blameless life, listen, it's not something you just turn on. You don't just turn it on. It's something that's been developed in a person. It's something where the person said, I will not defile myself. I will not compromise. I will stand for what is right. Daniel's whole life, listen, prepared him for how he would handle the opposition that surrounded him. But even, but listen to this, but even in this, Daniel became a target of ridicule, even though he did no wrong. So if you're out there and you're suffering for doing what's right or standing up for what's right, guess what? You're in good company. You identify with people like Daniel and Joseph of the Old Testament and many others. Listen to this, routine, this is not on your outline, but this is, this is what kind of came to me uh, this morning. Routine for Daniel, it literally speaks out, speaks of his faithfulness to his God. This whole idea of routine surrounded not just the establishment of things to do, but in the faithfulness and the relationship with his God. That's where it was founded. He met with his God. He took time for his God. He, he, he was always focused to a task. He was always disciplined to do excellence. How many of you have ever known people that were that way? They push for excellence. Now, sometimes that can be uh, bondage, <laughs> but still there was this excellence about him. They all saw it in him. And then there was his priorities in life. There were some things he did not compromise. There were some things he would not let the priority of the king, listen, get above the priorities of the king of kings. And that was something that he, he, we see so clearly. Next, 
the plot of the accusers. We see the blameless and then we see the blamers. Look at chapter six, verse five. This is the part of the story we know. Then these men said, we shall find, we, sh we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. You know, I think we, what they were saying is, I think we can find, we can, we can trap him. There's something we can do here and we can tie it to his faith. Now, why would they think they could do that? Because even they knew that his faith meant more to him than anything else. He demonstrated that before them. And then it goes on and says, so these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statue and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any God or, a man, or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of the lions. Do you see what they're trying to do through the king? They're manipulating the king. They're saying, you're so great, you need to be worshiped. You're so great that we need to turn all our uh, awareness of, of, of who we are and who you are. We just need to look to you for everything. For 30 days, we just need to dedicate ourselves to you. Verse eight, now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it, can be, it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. You hear the pride of the king here? You, you, you see, pride is deceptive. You see, there's no way, based on what we know about Daniel and what we're getting ready to find out in the rest of the story, there's no way the king would have signed something that would have harmed Daniel. But his pride, his ego was puffed up. Someone came in and manipulated it. Have you ever had anybody do that to you? How many of you are old enough to realize when someone comes around and starts singing your praises or up to something? Your own children will do that. Oh, thou great and holy mom. I just want to tell you how much we appreciate you and how we adore you. And, and you can, I mean, there's just so much. You know something's up, right? But, but here we've got the same thing going on with this king and, 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 and there's something happening here. And then verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. Now, this is not something Daniel did to show everybody, hey, I'm gonna defile your law. This is what he's always done. This is his routine. He, he basically is not gonna stop what he's always been doing. That's a person who, who does not compromise. And then he said toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, which was his custom since the early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. They, they knew what he would be about. They even knew his routine. Isn't that pretty cool? That when they think of you, no, we probably shouldn't call mom. This is probably her prayer time. Can't call, her, can't call dad, he, he's in church today serving. I mean, do you see what I'm talking about? I mean, it says, these men assembled and found Daniel praying, making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the line to the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which shall not be altered. So they answered and said before the king that Daniel 
who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you. O king, for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with whom? Himself. He realized he'd been deceived. He realized that he'd been manipulated. And, and, and he, he, it's right there. The, the plan, the plot, it's all right there. And, and he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He, he, he basically, that's all he thought about was, what have I done? What have I done? Then these men approached the king and said to the king, No, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Think about that. The trap was laid, the bait was taken. All of this was manipulation against Daniel. Now think of this. Many times we are the victim of manipulation. How many of you have known that or have seen that in your life? It can happen in the office, in the classroom, on the team, and maybe even in the family. Which, now I want to ask you this. What is your reaction to the, this type of manipulation? How, how do you go about it? What do you do when opposition comes into your life? Do you stand there and say, how dare you do this? Who do you think you are? Do you begin to get on this high soapbox and say, I'm, I'm too good to, be, to, to allow this happen to me? But what did Daniel do about this? He let his God handle it. Think about what he's doing here. Many times we're hurt. Many times we don't expect to come, to expect this manipulation to come with the, from those who are so close of us, close to us. But God can still use it. He can use the pain of manipulation and opposition. In James chapter one, all of you are familiar with this passage. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. When it feels like the whole world's coming against you, count it joy. That's sick, isn't it? But you think about this. When he says count it all joy, here's really what's going on. God's getting ready to do a work in your life. There's an opportunity that may be opening up for you. There's an opportunity. Now, what kind of opportunity are we talking about? Well, he explains it to us. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. There it is again. Patience. But let patience have its perfect work. Let it have its maturing work. That you may be perfect. That you may be mature and complete. What would complete look like? That you have extra discernment. You have extra wisdom. That you see things clearly. Your perspective's not skewed. It's right there in front of you. And that you lack nothing. How does it come about? Through the trial. What kind of trial? Any kind of trial. The plot. To the accuser of the accusers led to the predicament of the king. Look at verse 16. He goes on and says, So the king gave the command and brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Listen to this, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Did you know that our faith has the potential to speak into the opposition? Did you know that? That's what's going on right here. The opposition that came against him through manipulation, whatever you want to call it, the adversity he's dealing with, guess what? Many times God can speak through the faith that you have towards him through the opposition. And that's what's going on right here. 
And we see it. Then a stone, verse 17, was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the signets of the Lord, uh, of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. It's been, it's sealed, it's going to happen. And we see the predicament of a king. Next, we see the panic of the king. Look at verse 18. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting and no musicians were brought before him. Now I want you to think about this. He's there and, and, and when he went home, he wasn't thinking about what he's gonna eat that night. He wasn't thinking about what kind of entertainment he was gonna put before him, what TV show was coming on that night or what game happened to be coming on. Well, I would say something about football, but I'm not gonna do that right now, but anyway. But I mean, all these things are right there and, 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 and he, 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 he couldn't sleep. Everything that he would normally do was out the window. This really alarmed him. This really got his attention. And so now, guess what? The king is faced with his own adversity and the opposition that's against him. He's faced with it. He's panicked. How do we know that? Verse 19, then the king arose very early in the morning, went in haste to the lion's den. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice, a sorrowful voice to Daniel. The king spoke saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, man, isn't that powerful? Has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Wow, you're talking about a testimony. You're talking about a faith that speaks in the midst of opposition? That's speaking. Can I ask you a question? Do others know who you worship and serve? Has your faith become their faith? We're hearing the, we're hearing the king's faith here about the God that Daniel serves. Next, we see the protection of Daniel. This is how, listen, this is important. This is how Daniel dealt with his opposition. First of all, look on your outline, his respect. Look at verse 21. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. Now, I want you to think about this. First of all, Daniel speaks. What do you think that's doing to the king right now? Whew, he's still alive. But not only that, I mean, Daniel could have said what many of us may say. What were you thinking? Leaving me in here. Wouldn't you be saying that? I mean, sometimes we don't, it doesn't sound like that when we say it to God, but it, it, it's the same words. What are you thinking leaving me in this adversity, in this opposition? What in the world are you doing? Is that what Daniel did? No, what did he do? Oh, king, live forever. He respected. He respected. There was a respect that was there. That's the reason they saw excellent spirit in him. There was a respect he had. There was something that was bigger than his own life. God was up to something. He kept everything in perspective, respecting the king's position. He did not make his opposition, listen, about him and his feelings. He knew there was something more out there that God could do. Again, it wasn't how dare you, king, do you not know everything I've done for you? How dare you do this to me? No, Daniel knew God would fight his battles and bring justice if need be. He knew that. He trusted that. Second of all, not only his respect, but his rescuer. Look at verse 22. It says, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me. Let me say this. 
I've, I've been in ministry for a long time. And I hear a lot of Christians doubting their faith, doubting their salvation. And here's one reason why I believe they probably are. They can't think of the last time God did something supernatural in their life because they weren't willing to put themselves out there. Daniel had no doubt that God was working in his life. God sent his own angel. There was just something. There's something about stepping up. There's something about not compromising. There's something about just refusing to go the way and just stand up. That's when you see God show up. And for many Christians, and I've been there myself, we don't step out. We don't step out. We just kind of cater like everyone else does. But Daniel stood up because he knew who his rescuer was. He realized that his only hope was God. God would have to be his protector. When he could not protect nor defend himself, he knew his God would do something in the midst of this. How did Daniel deal with his opposition? His revelation, his revelation. Look at verse 22, the second part. It says this, because I was found innocent before him, before God, and also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. You know what it means? Here's what I think I'm hearing here. Daniel was not arrogant enough to think he was the only one who was right. And here's how I know that. Because God had to tell him, Daniel, you're doing the right thing. Daniel, you haven't, you haven't, offend, you haven't, you haven't been in opposition to no one. I mean, don't you think you're sitting there with lions all night? And every time one would move, how would you feel? This is it. This is it. Of course, it probably didn't hurt to look over there and see the angels sitting there like, yeah, try it. <laughs> but there's something going on here. I mean, I mean, Daniel, he had probably had a lot of time to think about what was going on. And, and that night in the lion's den seemed to reveal to him that he was right. How many of you sometimes get in the middle of your opposition and your adversity and you think automatically, well, I'm right here. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm right. I did the right thing. Well, right there, that attitude tells me something's wrong with what you did. Daniel still took it before God evidently that night. And the Lord affirmed to him, Daniel, you're on the right track. You're doing the right thing. You got the right attitude. Stay with it. That was the revelation he received. But instead, what do we do sometimes? How dare them? Or we may even take what we think is a higher road and say, well, I'm suffering for Jesus. Praise God. I was right. No, you could have been wrong. But you got to look and see what kind of revelation do you receive in that? Next is release. Look at verse 23. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. No injury whatever was found on him. It could say whatsoever was found on him. There wasn't even a scratch. It's pretty impressive. Now, liberals would probably say, well, they weren't hungry. They, fed, they were fed 10 other men just before Daniel went down. Well, we're going to find out that's not true. But we see his release. He was released from the wickedness of his accusers. Now, here's what I want you to understand when it comes to your adversity and, and, and the opposition you may face. And this is the tough part. This is where it takes true faith and trust in God. God makes the determination when we will be released from adversity and opposition. You get that, right? God impressed upon the king to let Daniel out the next morning. 
Some of you have been dealing with your adversity and opposition maybe for a lot longer than that. Who's the one that's going to call the shots? If you're leaving it in God's hands, guess what? He's the one that's going to call the shots. There's going to come a time where he says, okay, now we're going to deal with this. And by the way, he will deal with this. He will deal with it. Next, how did Daniel deal with his opposition? His record. Look at verse 23. Last part. Because he believed in what? His God. Daniel's testimony and name was cleared. And once again, he brought glory to God through the opposition he faced. This is the third king that that's happened with. That God came through, through Daniel's life. Next, we see his redemption. Look at 24. And the king gave the command and brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, this is, this is kind of tough, isn't it? Their children, their wives, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Were those lions hungry? Yep. And Daniel was not the appetizer. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Kind of makes me wonder how Corby shared this with the children. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but anyway, we see his redemption. The accusers, the wicked, were taken care of, and the redemption came to Daniel. Have you ever, have you ever agreed with the psalmist and asked the question like King David did here? Why is it that the wicked seem to prosper? How many of you have seen that lately? Why is it that they seem to get away with everything and anything? Psalms 37. Listen to what King David writes. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as a, as a green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. He will make it right. That's what he's saying here. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake right, wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm, for evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked one shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but not see him any longer. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. There is a time in which peace is going to come, in which the wicked will not prosper. Yet it seems like everywhere we look around, that's exactly what we see, don't we? It's almost like the more vile our world can be and the more vile we can see out there in the media in different places, it's almost like, oh my goodness, is everyone who's wicked prospering? It appears, doesn't it? But there's gonna come a day all that will be corrected and we see it here. You see, in God's economy of morality, the day is coming, listen, when all will be made right, justice will be served. Next, we see the proclamation of the king. Boy, it really gets good here. Look at verse 25. Then King Darius wrote, it's very similar to what Nebuchadnezzar wrote. 
to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Be, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one who shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues he is, and he works signs and wonders in the heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Boy, this story went everywhere. It went everywhere. Next, this all led to the promotion of Daniel. Look at verse 28. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. His legacy is not only gonna stay with Darius, it's gonna move on to Cyrus. Another king will be impacted by his faith. Now, here's the application this morning. How do you deal with opposition in your life? Do you you see a difference between the way you deal with it and the way you just read Daniel deals with it? How about this? Do you take matters in your own hands? Do you respond with vengeful thinking? Or do you trust that the Lord will handle your opposition? I want to close with this in in conclusion. I didn't have uh, a chance to put on the outline. Don't have enough room anymore. But if you look here on the screen, the cards are back there on the eye desk. When in the midst of opposition, I want to quickly go through this. Realize that God knows your situation. God knew exactly where Daniel was. How do we know? He sent an angel. He knew exactly what was going on with Daniel. Be more concerned for God's glory than your deliverance. Wow, that's powerful, isn't it? God, I don't understand. Boy, you know my heart. I'd love to be delivered from this. But if it brings you greater glory and somehow this thing can really make you known to the world, I'll rest in it. Boy, that's a powerful statement. Next, acknowledge the source of your opposition, but keep your eyes on the Lord. You do need to know where the opposition comes from. You do need to know how to size it up. You need to have wisdom and discernment when it comes to those things. But one thing you gotta understand, you gotta still keep your eyes on the Lord. Because when you start putting your eyes on the ones who are bringing opposition and adversity, it's gonna change your perspective. Not only that, when you begin to think about what they've done to you, you'll be all messed up with perspective. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Next, pray for wisdom, discernment, and patience. Stay calm and confident, giving God time to work through your situation. View your situation as a means to grow your faith. That's what it's all about. Trust God to deliver you in his own unique way and then continue to praise him in the midst of your distress. Man, that is so difficult, isn't it? But it's everything the Bible teaches. Everything the Bible teaches. I'm gonna ask ushers if they would come forward, please. Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you for this story. We thank you for the man called Daniel in the Old Testament. And Father, over these last three weeks, we thank you for what we've seen and what we can learn through just how great his faith was and is in the midst of opposition. And Father, I don't know where these people are sitting in this room right now. I don't know what they're facing. But Father, I just pray, Lord, that somehow through a message like this, they can see maybe even more clearly how to deal with their adversity, how to deal with their opposition. Father, we thank you for a man like Daniel that shows us that way. And Father, we pray you take this offering and use it as only you can to help us continue to reach this world for your glory, Father. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen.